who is God to you? God for me is everything. It's my life because my life without God is nothing. God is my Lord and Savior, my Father. You add God to the equation, everything's better. I mean, to me, I, I don't think that there is necessarily a God. I think that having an invisible guy watch everything I do isn't uh, something I personally believe in. Para mí, Dios es la persona la cual tú no puedes ver, pero en la cual todos confiamos. Aclamamos a Dios cuando tenemos problemas. God to me is really no one, to be honest. So uh, distant, you know, not communicative, no empathy. God is my father. Somebody I pray to, talk to every day. God is a being greater than myself and greater than anybody else. God is people I meet and the experiences I have. I'm not really religious at all, so probably nothing. He's there when I need help. He's there when I don't need help. He's just someone I want to talk to all the time. God is kind of like a mentor, and you should go to him for some faith. Mysterious. I will definitely say mysterious. I don't believe in God. I don't believe it's intelligently possible that there was a God, but I do believe that, I believe in spiritual, I believe when people have their own beliefs and their own spirits and all that, but I just don't believe that when God made all of us and all of this. Well, good morning, Northridge Church. It is good to see you, good to be with you wherever you might be joining us uh, from. We're grateful that you're here with us this morning. Uh, for those who don't know, my name is Nate. I'm our Webster campus pastor and uh, excited to have a chance to get to, to speak to all of you um, this morning. And uh, before we get going, I know that this is a big weekend for our teens. I know that this is a snow camp weekend and I know they're here actually with us this morning as part of that. So welcome guys. In fact, I got my uh, NYM swag on. Yes, representing, but I hope you guys are having an awesome, awesome weekend uh, together. And as you've heard, so we're in the series God Is, and this morning we're talking about a really big truth uh, about God, that God is good. We're talking about the goodness of God, and what I, what I mean by that is that God by nature is inherently good, that everything about God is good. There's no evil in him, there's no bad or uh, bad intentions in him, everything about God is good, and, and we see this truth about God all over the pages of scripture. Psalm 34 verse eight tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And I wanna to try to help us understand and appreciate and wrestle with the goodness of, of God this morning. In fact, I think about my own life and I think one of the very first truths I can ever remember learning in my, in my life was that God um, is good. And the way in which I remember that, I think back to when I was little, one of the earliest memories I have of, of my relationship with God and understanding of God is based on a prayer that we used to pray regularly as a family before meals. It's one we often do now with, with my own kids. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, but it's God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. And we used to pray that prayer regularly. And I had from an early age this truth instilled in me that God is great, God is good. And uh, in fact, maybe for some of you, if you've recently trusted Christ, it probably wasn't long before you heard the truth that God, he is good. We hear it um, in songs that we sing, oftentimes on the radio, even songs that we, we sing here in Northridge Church, that God is good. You look in the pages of scripture, uh, the very first two chapters, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, are all about a good God, created everything good. We hear it in messages that God is good all the time and all the time God is good. But what I wanna do this morning is I wanna lean in to this truth about God and just, 
just really ask you, how do you know that? How do you know God is good? What makes you so certain of that? And, and I bet some of you today are probably really wrestling with this truth about God. Maybe it's the one question that's keeping you from a relationship with God or has you stuck in your relationship with God because you look around and it doesn't take long before we see things in life that just make us scratch our head and we wonder and we ask these questions of like, wow, how can God be good when there's so much evil in the world? How can God be good when there's so much suffering in the world? And maybe for you it's personal. Maybe it's not why is there evil in the world and why is there suffering in the world? This question is personal because it's a question you have with God of God. How can you be good when you have given me this uh, chronic disease or illness? You've given me this diagnosis. God, how can you be good when you took away my career or my job? God, how can you be good when you took away my dad, when you took away my child? person I love. This question is personal. God, if you're good, why is there this pain? Why is there this sadness that we all see and experience? And in my own life, I, I think back of having to wrestle with the goodness of God. And uh, the, the hardest time for me in that journey was back in 2011. And I'll never forget the phone call. It was from my sister. She's two years older than me. And she called to let our, our family know that she had just been diagnosed with cancer, a Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I don't remember much after that. I just remember hearing that news. And it didn't take long before these questions and doubts started to creep into my mind of, God, why in the world would you allow my sister to have to, to battle cancer? I mean, she's 30 years old. Seven months before she had just gotten married. She loves you. She wants to serve you. Her family, they want to be used by you. God, why would you allow my sister to have to deal and battle with cancer? And that, that wasn't a short-lived wrestling. This was a wrestling that, that continued for quite some time because shortly after that, she started chemotherapy and she went through rounds of chemotherapy and then they realized that the chemo, it wasn't working. It wasn't having uh, any effect on the cancer. And then they realized you're gonna need to temporarily relocate to Indianapolis because we're need, you're gonna need to have a stem cell transplant and our, our hope is that that will then cure the cancer. And um, I remember during this season, it wasn't just the cancer that was hard, but things in their life in general were really difficult. They were uh, hoping to get a house during this time. There's a, a dream house that they had their eyes on. They thought that they were going to get, but that fell through. It was also during this time that one of their best friend's mom passed away suddenly due to suicide. And actually, the day of their friend's uh, mom's funeral was the day that they were packing up their car to drive and to head out to Indianapolis for the stem cell transplant. And I just remember my sister saying during this time, like, everything felt hard. Everything felt difficult, and maybe you find yourself there this morning, right now, where, man, life feels hard, life feels difficult, and all of us bump up to these moments in life that cause us to ask this question, man, how can God be good? Which leads us, I think, to a misconception of God that if bad things happen, God can't be good. If bad things happen, God can't be good. If he's all-powerful, if he is sovereign in control, reigning and ruling over everything, why in the world would there be hurt, would there be pain? and sorrow, all of these, these questions. How can God be good when things like this happen? And I think for us to truly be able to appreciate and understand the goodness of God, we have to wrestle with this question. We have to allow ourselves space and time to wrestle with this question. And I know one of the things that's true of me, and I think it can be true within the church as a whole, is sometimes we don't wrestle well 
as followers of Christ. And sometimes there's this idea that we just gotta sweep any questions or whatever thoughts or doubts we have under the rug and just put a smile on your face and believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good and we don't really wrestle with these hard questions. And maybe some of you, you've, you've been there, you've been wrestling with, through a trial or a circumstance in your life or struggling to embrace the truth about God and a, a, a well-meaning Christian person comes up to you and they know you're struggling and they come up to you and just say, hey, you know, just let go and let God. Just, just trust that God is in control. He has this. Just let go and let God. And while their theology is good and while their intentions may be good, the more they talk to you, the more you just want to do what the Bible says and lay your hands on them and just like, right? Like, because God doesn't feel good in the moment right now. And, and your faith feels wrecked and you're not really sure you know, what's going on and, and life is difficult. And sometimes when it comes to these bigger questions, one of the greatest things we can do is lean in and wrestle through these questions. And it leads us, I think, too, to this other misconception that you can never question God, right? You, you, you can't question God. Don't bring your doubts to God. Don't bring your questions to him. That stays in, inside. Just sweep that into the, you know, try to bury it somewhere. But there was a guy in the Bible who found himself in a similar situation where he was struggling and he was questioning to embrace and believe the goodness of God. And his example of moving from questioning to being able to see and embrace the goodness of God is an incredible example for us today. And so I wanna introduce this guy to you. His name is Habakkuk. Habakkuk, in fact, uh, I would encourage you to turn there in your, in your Bible. If you're using one of our Bibles, today is gonna be one of those days where the page number matters more than ever before because it's found on page 763. It's a really hard book of the Bible to find, even as tough uh, for me. But, uh, but turn there, and uh, Habakkuk, all right, I want everyone say that name with me, ready? Habakkuk, right? Sounds like you just coughed something up. But um, this, this guy's an incredible incredible story in life for us. And I would imagine maybe for some of you, you've never even opened up to this part of the Bible. And so I'm excited to, to look at his life and study his life together. But his name literally means to embrace and to wrestle. That's what his name means, to embrace truths about who God is, as we're going to see, but then also wrestle with his current reality. And he lived and he wrote about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And he was a prophet, but he was a very different kind of prophet. And you might be wondering, well, what in the world is a prophet anyways? Well, a prophet is someone who spoke to the people, to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. God would give a message, he would give it to a prophet, that prophet would then in turn deliver that message to the people. But Habakkuk was different. He didn't speak to um, the people on behalf of God. Habakkuk spoke to God on behalf of the people. And here in Habakkuk, we're gonna see that he's speaking to God on behalf of the nation of Judah. And Judah had been a very successful and prosperous nation at one point in time, but that was not the case now. Things were difficult, there was corruption, there was deception, and instead of prospering, they were hurting. They were in poverty, and, and he just kind of unleashes on God on behalf of the nation of Judah some 2,600 years ago all of these questions. God, how can you be good? Why aren't you doing something? You don't seem fair. And we're going to look at this book today. We're not going to be able to cover everything. I'm going to kind of do a survey look of each of the, the three chapters. There's only three chapters. I would encourage you at some point in time to read through the book of Habakkuk. But we're going to look at each chapter. In chapter one, we're going to see is all about questioning. It's all about questioning. And I'm not going to read verse one to you, but here we see that he receives this prophecy, which literally is like this utterance. It's a burden. It is a weight that Habakkuk has received. And he's getting ready to deliver this burden to God on behalf of the nation of Judah. And look at what he says in verse two. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. 
or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? So you can feel the pain in his words right here. Like you can feel the pain, you can feel the hurt. This is like me saying, God, why would you allow my sister to have to experience and to battle cancer? And Habakkuk here, he's real, he's raw. His name tells the story. Remember, it's to wrestle and it's to embrace and that's what he's doing here. He continues, verse three, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and there's conflict. It abounds, therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. In other words, what he's saying here is, look, God, I don't really think what you're doing is right. And what are his problems with God? Well, God, you certainly don't seem to care. You're, You're allowing this suffering to happen. You are powerful and you could be doing something, but you're not doing something right now. And you just don't really seem fair. What I, what I appreciate about Habakkuk chapter one here and what Habakkuk is doing is he's actually showing, he's modeling for us that it's okay to bring your questions to God. It's okay to be honest and to bring your questions before God. In fact, did you know that about a third of the Psalms are cries from people in distress to God? Did you know that there's entire books of the Bible, there's Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Jeremiah, and Job. These are all books that, of people expressing confusion to people who just are trying to make sense of their current reality and are struggling. And here in Habakkuk chapter one, he just continues to ask these questions and actually then God responds and God tells him, actually Habakkuk, things are going to get worse. And you would think that, that God in his grace and goodness would, would show some relief and show some help, but that's not what happens. He says, things are gonna get worse. I'm actually gonna raise up your enemies. He's gonna raise up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians were a feared group of people. They were ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth. They sweep, uh, seize dwellings that aren't their own. They are feared and a dreaded people. And God is saying, look, Habakkuk, you think it's bad now. It's gonna get worse because I'm gonna use your enemies to bring justice because of your sin, the sin of Judah. And this is where we have to dig in, okay? This is where we have to lean in, in our faith, in our understanding, in our relationship with God. Because this is what we have to understand, right? God is all powerful, he's in control, he is sovereign, but what do we do with the evil in the world? And this is where we have to understand God never created evil. He did not create evil. We see in Genesis one and two, a perfect creation, a good God, created everything perfect. Evil entered the world when Satan and Adam and Eve decided to turn their back on God and decided to pursue their own way, to neglect God, to turn from him and try to do things on their own. And as a result of that, evil entered the world, sin entered the world, brokenness, destruction, death, pain, sorrow that all of us continue to experience. So even though God didn't create evil, he still can use it though to bring about his perfect plan and will, which is what we see throughout scripture. We see even here, in, uh, in the story of, of Habakkuk, which points us to this reality that just because God uses it doesn't mean he approves of it. God didn't create evil. That was a result of us turning our back on God. But God is using here in this story an evil nation to do what is right and to do what is just. He's not excusing the evil of the nation because the Babylonians, they get their due, they get their justice. He is divinely in control of bringing about justice through these things. And look, I know that that's, that's a lot to take in. That's in the deep end of the theological pool. But here's what we have to understand. We are not like God. His ways are so much higher than our ways and there are things about God that are just hard to understand. And I don't know about you, but I actually take comfort in that. 
Um, I don't fully expect to understand all the ways in which God chooses to work, and I can take comfort in that and trust and know that he is good and working out a plan even if I don't fully understand it. So I know that that's a lot, and this is what Habakkuk is wrestling through here in chapter one, and I love what Habakkuk does next, and what he shows us and what he models for us is that you can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. You can do both at the same time. You can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God, and we're gonna see how he does it here. Look at verse 12. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? So I'm embracing you, God. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. I'm embracing you. You, Lord, have appointed them, that's the Babylonians, to execute judgments. Now I'm wrestling. I don't like the sound of that. But you, my rock, I'm embracing you again. You have ordained them to punish. So now I'm wrestling with God, you, God. But your eyes are too pure to look on evil. I know there's no evil in you. You didn't create evil. You can't tolerate wrongdoing. I'm embracing you, God. But why then do you tolerate the treacherous? You see, he's wrestling again. Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up these more righteous than themselves? Do you, do you see the embracing, trying to embrace these truths that he knows are, are true of God, but yet at the same time wrestling? And listen, if, if you find yourself there right now, I just want you to know that God understands your pain. He welcomes your questions and I'm convinced that God would rather have you run to him, to yell at him, to bring your questions to him than to instead walk away from him. So when you hit the wall, when you hit a crisis of of belief, when things just don't uh, line up and you have these doubts, don't run from God. Let your doubts drive you to continue to embrace even when you wrestle with God. I think this is so important for us that that honestly acknowledging your doubts is your first step towards building a mature faith. Honestly, working through your questions is one of the first steps towards building a deeper faith, a strong faith. And what if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of who God is, of his character and of his goodness. And this is what Habakkuk is doing here in chapter one. So chapter one, it's all about questioning God. And then chapter two, we're gonna look at this one briefly. But chapter two is all about waiting. It's about waiting. He's gonna wait to see what God will do. And we see that Habakkuk here, he's gonna listen to God. And what I like about this is that when God's not doing what we want him to do, I'm terrible at this. I'm so guilty of this. I'm not good at waiting because I I wanna like start to make something happen. I wanna develop some plans, have some conversations, try to get some things moving. And whenever I do that, things do not work out well. And that is um, what Habakkuk is doing here is as he's waiting, he's wondering, he has these these questions. And we look at what it says here in uh, verse one of chapter two. It says this, I will stand at my watch and I will station myself on the ramparts, meaning I'm gonna put myself in the best possible position to see God move and work. I will look to see what he will say to me. So again, remember, this isn't easy to do when you're hurting, right? Because when you're hurting, we want to see some action. We want to see something happen. But we don't see Habakkuk doing this. We just see him waiting and we see him wondering. And then look at the very end of chapter two, we see this incredible verse. Verse 20, he says this, the Lord is in his holy temple, meaning God is still on the throne. He is still in control. And then he says, let all the earth be silent before him. It's kind of like that psalm that says, be still and know that I am God. Just be still. I'm, I'm hurting, I'm waiting, I'm trusting in you, God, but I can trust in you because 
The Lord is in his holy temple. He is still on his throne. So even as we wait, we can trust that God is good. Even as we wait, we can know that he is in control. He's working behind the scenes. Even though we might not feel it, even though we might not not see it, we can trust and know he's on his throne. God is still reigning and ruling, and we know and can trust that because of that, he is good, and he's out for our good. He's in control, and I can be still. I can be silent because God is on his throne. He is in control. And chapter two is all about waiting. But then here in chapter three, there's a big change of tone um, that takes place here. I love chapter three. Chapter three is all about embracing. In chapter three, there's kind of this reset. And in verse one, this is a, a verse that we could easily blow right on past, but it is so important and sets up the context for all of chapter three that we must understand. Look at what verse one says. It says, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigioneth. Now let's pause for a second. What in the world just happened? Shigioneth, like, did, did Habakkuk just sneeze and his scribe was like, Shigioneth, like I think that was the word, you know, is that like a Christian swear word? Like what is Shigioneth? This word is actually very, very, uh, it's profound and uh, I'm gonna geek out about this word for a minute. So join me as I try to explain this word to, to all of us. But Shigioneth, this word is actually used one time in the Bible, and it's used here in verse one. We don't know a ton about this word, but we know that it's a musical term and it has something to do with how you are to to sing this psalm. So this is a prayer, but it's also a song that's to be sung that Habakkuk is giving here. So he's giving instructions. It'd be like me saying, hey, at the end of our service today, we're gonna do a song. We want you to, you know, remain seated and listen to, you know, the band as they play these songs, or we want you to stand up and we want you to sing and to shout and to praise. It's that kind of word. It's instructions on how to sing. Um, this, this song, but here's what's important. Shigioneth means to sing with strong emotion. It means um, to sing with impassioned exuberance. It means high-spirited praise. It means vigorous enthusiasm. And here's why this is so important, is that Habakkuk is getting ready to do this all-in, full-on praise and worship of who God is before God has done anything. This is praising God before the provision. This is praising God before God has really moved or really seemingly answered any of Habakkuk's prayers. And this is so important to us. It's just simply praising God out of faith. Faith is at the root of the goodness of God. And what he shows us is that we are to praise God for what he's done, not for what we're hoping that he will do. And we're gonna see this as we work down through chapter three. It's to praise God for what he has done, not for what we're hoping that he will do. Look at what it says in verse two. Habakkuk says this of God. He says, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And he says, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. So so we see Habakkuk here, he's just praising God for what he has done. He's praising God for who he is, even in the midst of his current reality and his current circumstances. He's just praising God for who he is. And then he continues, and now he tells us, look, that we're gonna praise him for what he's done, and we're also going to remember. We're gonna remember the goodness of God. I love uh, verse three. Habakkuk continues, and he says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens 
and his praise filled the earth. Now, those two locations that Habakkuk just mentioned here, Taman and Mount Paran, they probably don't mean a lot to us today, but these two locations were very significant to Habakkuk. They were very significant um, to the nation of Israel because these two places, Taman and Paran, they, this is where God took his people for refuge after delivering them from um, the Egyptian bondage, from slavery, from under Pharaoh. And Habakkuk is saying here, he's remembering, God, I remember when we didn't think that there was any way. I remember when we thought we were going to be in captivity under uh, Pharaoh and under the Egyptians forever. But God, you stepped in. God, you moved the heart of Pharaoh. And God, you split open the Red Sea. You allowed us to walk through on dry land. And as our enemies crept, crept up behind, behind us, you pushed them back. And God, I think back and I remember your faithfulness. I see, I've seen your goodness and I remember your goodness. And God, I know that you will be faithful again, and I can trust in you. In verse four, he says, his splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps, and what did God do? He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. He says, God, I remember your faithfulness. I remember your goodness. I remember your justice. And in verses seven through 15, he kind of just continues to recount who God is and his faithfulness and goodness. And then look at verse 17. So, so important. He says, though the fig tree doesn't bud, though there's no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there's no sheep, in the pens and no cattle in the stalls. Another way we might be able to say it is, God, though I'm still praying and I'm not seeing an answer to that prayer, though God, I'm still believing that we can conceive and, and have a baby even though we haven't conceived yet. God, though I'm still asking for that job or that provision or that blessing or that answer to prayer but haven't seen it yet. God, though we lost someone so valuable and important to us or we lost a, a possession that was important to us that we just don't understand in the midst of any and all of that, look at what he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Look, there, there's a dozen reasons why you may not want to praise God right now. But remember, this isn't some half-hearted praise to God. This is Shigioneth. This is all in, I am going to praise you, God, for who you are and for what you have done. And Habakkuk goes from questioning to waiting and to embracing the goodness of God. You know, as I think back on my sister and her, her journey in battle with cancer, she, uh, she kept a blog during her journey in battle with cancer. And I remember there was a blog post that she wrote right in the most difficult uh, time. It was right around when, when she was getting ready to move to Indianapolis for, for the stem cell transplant, hoping that that would work and cause and, uh, and cure the, the cancer. And she wrote, um, she wrote a, a blog in the midst of this really dark time, and it's, it's incredible. And I actually have the words of her blog here, and I was going was gonna to read these uh, words from this excerpt from her blog, but then I was like, why should I read them when you can hear directly from her words? So take a listen uh, to my sister. I've been thinking about something today. I'll try to articulate the thoughts that have been in my mind because it's important. In fact, it's the most important thing. It's the gospel, the crux and the center of what I believe. Everything else in my life flows from this core belief, this belief that there is indeed good news. Unfortunately, the good news begins with some very bad news, and that is a part of what has been heavy on my heart today. The world is broken, it is messy, it is painful and hurtful, and just sometimes wrong. We have some dear friends going through something sudden and tragic, and our hearts ache for them. 
There have been many times on our own journey that the reality of the brokenness of this world and my own body has been more evident than ever before. And then today I ran into someone I hardly know and heard their heart-wrenching story. It's moments like these that I'm so keenly aware that things are not as they should be. I thought about this this morning, how the gospel begins with God creating a perfect world and man deciding to take matters into our own hands, God's great love towards us and our massive distrust of his love leading to sin and separation from him, not just for Adam, but for all mankind since. We chose our own way and things haven't gone well since. And I think we all know this and we want to make things different. We want to right the wrongs and bring beauty from the ashes, see the broken things made whole again. The problem is that broken and sinful people, no matter how hard we try, cannot accomplish this. We cannot achieve our own salvation. Thankfully, God knows this, and in his grace began working a plan to bring us back to himself and right these wrongs from the very beginning. God himself entered our mess. He put on broken flesh and entered the world. I can't tell you how this blows my mind as I struggle with the reality of how temporal our human bodies really are. He stepped down from heaven into our world as the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life, something we could never do because of the sin in our hearts. He was willingly killed on the cross to pay the price for all of our evil, and God punished him instead of us. This was God's plan all along. We rejected God, and in his mercy, he sent himself to rescue us anyway. And there's more good news. Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. When we believe this, when we accept this as as truth, accept his sacrifice in our place, true life finally begins. The brokenness begins to heal. Beauty can come from ashes and wrongs begin to be righted. And one day he will come again and make all things right for forever. If we know him and believe this, we will experience life forever with him. In face of all the hurt and pain in our world today, this is truly good news. We have a good friend who often says that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Sometimes I wonder why I should do this, and on a day like today, I know. Without the gospel, the truths I mentioned above, there is no foundation for life, no way to make sense of it all. But the gospel changes everything. Everything. It gives hope in the midst of trial. It reminds me that despite the difficulty of this world, God is reaching out to us with his love. And it also reminds me that we weren't made for this world and that one day all will be made right. For some of you, this truth is real to you. It gets you through the day. Some of you may not believe this, and I would encourage you to consider what I've said. This truth has changed my life and continues to give me hope each day. I know it can do the same for you. It's hard because we want to believe the lie that started this whole mess, that God doesn't love us, and we would be better off taking matters into our own hands. Life can be hard, and this seems so true sometimes, but it isn't. The truth is that God does love us and has made a way for us to be in relationship with him. His way is the best way. As we walk in this truth, we find we have hope, and that is indeed the best news we've ever heard. You know what, I, yeah. What I find so powerful about her words is remember, this is in one of the hardest times of her life. Not sure whether or not the stem cell transplant is going um, to work or not, but yet, even in the midst of that, she's able to remember what, what is truly most important, right? This is her Shigionath. This is her praising God 
uh, for who he is and praising God simply that her greatest hope isn't in some cure, it's not in some stem cell transplant, but her greatest hope was met through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and praise God, the stem cell transplant worked and she has been cancer free from that point moving forward. She has two beautiful kiddos now. And you know, oftentimes I think back and I reflect on that and I'm like, man, would I, would I be able to stand here today and still say that God is good if he had chosen not to heal my sister? And uh, I want to believe, uh, I believe that this is true, that, that I would still be able to say, yes, God is good because the greatest example of the goodness of God is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is where our hope is found. And this cross, it, it, the, the cross is a place where all the evil, the hurt, and the brokenness meets up with the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ that my sister so beautifully shared with us. That God saw our brokenness, didn't stay silent, didn't stay still, he pursued us. And that is the greatest example of his goodness. The cross of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you find yourself today. As you're wrestling through and trying to embrace and think about the goodness of God. And maybe you find yourself in a season of questioning where you have questions. And I would just encourage you, I would challenge you to lean in. Don't pull away from those questions. Don't pull away from God, but allow those questions to drive you closer um, to God. God is not afraid of your questions. He can handle your questions. Maybe you find yourself in a season of waiting where you have poured your heart out to God, you've asked those questions, I would just encourage you, remember, he's still on the throne, he's still in control, and you can trust in him. Or maybe you find yourself needing to embrace God. Maybe you need to just simply get a worship song or some music that's gonna help you praise him and remember who he is and what he has done for you. Maybe you need to think back and remember and write down his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. Maybe you need to embrace the gospel for the very first time and transfer your trust from yourself and put that trust into Christ. Maybe if you are already a follower of Christ, you need to preach the gospel to yourself and remember what Christ has saved you from, but we need to embrace God. And when we do, we will truly be able to see and experience that God is good and we will be able to taste and see and experience for ourselves the goodness of God. And as we do that, we will then in turn be able to point others to the goodness of God and allow them to see and experience that God truly is good. Uh, Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. That God, um, you put that goodness on display through the cross of Jesus Christ and um, that we can have hope, that the pain and the hurt of this world can, can be uh, righted through belief and trust in you. And God, I, I pray that even Habakkuk's story and journey of, from questioning to embracing can be a, just a, a, an example to us to follow. That God, you're not afraid of our questions. You realize and you've seen and you've experienced the hurt and the pain of this world. And yet, God, we can, uh, we can trust in you, know that you empathize with us, you care for us, you love us, God, you want and desire what truly is good and best for us. So God, might you help us, give us the strength, Lord, to believe that you are good, to put our faith, hope, and trust in you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.